on this edition of the Iowa Business Report. So they're adjusting their curriculum as, as the industry changes. So I think they're on the cutting edge. A unique national partnership provides a unique blend of applied research with direct technical assistance to help small to medium-sized businesses be more efficient. And one of the key locations for the project is in Iowa. After reforming Iowa's income tax laws last year, the Iowa legislature has its sights set on reforming the state's property tax system this year. And in our business profile, we'll introduce you to a restaurant that is thriving in a downtown location. This is the Iowa Business Report for the third weekend of January 2023. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. It's called Foundry 4.0, a partnership between the Defense Logistics Agency and the National Center for Defense Manufacturing and Machining and the University of Northern Iowa and Youngstown State University. The idea is to provide American-based foundries with a competitive edge in technology while optimizing productivity, output, and product quality. Last month, two members of the NCDMM team spent a week in Cedar Falls to view the University of Northern Iowa components and make on-site visits with many Iowa industries. Brian Schmidt is program manager. Ken Carson is senior program engineer both with the National Center for Defense Manufacturing and Machining. I asked Brian Schmidt about the entity, NCDMM, and how this partnership came to be. NCDMM is the National Center for Defense Manufacturing and Machining. We specialize in manufacturing or advanced manufacturing solutions, in particular for the DOD. So we help the DOD do what they do from a manufacturing perspective better. Ken, how does that then tie with partnerships like what is called Foundry 4.0? The 4.0 is actually just trying to improve the manufacturing, either from a data standpoint or from just uh, improving the process overall. How is it, Brian, that the partnership with these two universities, University of Northern Iowa and Youngstown State University, how did that materialize? NCDMM specializes in assembling the optimal team to provide the optimal solution for whatever issue that we are posed with. So you and I and YSU are both known as experts in uh, foundry operations, metal casting. It was easy for us to find YSU. We have a working relationship with them. At one point, they were co-located with us. In addition to that, we had a standing relationship with you and I, in particular Jerry Thiel, and understood that he was a uh, a great advocate of this activity and was well-known and respected within this manufacturing method. So it just made perfect sense to take entities known in their field separately and put this all together. How unique is a relationship like that in a field like this? I think that we are finding that sand casting, metal casting is very close-knit. So it's not that we have run into anyone that wasn't unknown or they had not known either Jerry Steele or you and I or YSU. 
by capitalizing on their outreach within that manufacturing method, metal casting, we are attempting to and will be putting together assets at those locations to provide a sense of the art of the possible within metal casting, in particular through injection of advanced technologies within an industry or a manufacturing method that has been found to be lagging as far as adoption of advanced technologies. It's one of the things, Ken, that I think people may know a little bit about what UNI does in some of these areas, but actually may not know that the Foundry 4.0 location is at the TechWorks and may not know about some of these other locations. You've had the chance to see a lot of this firsthand this week during your visit to Iowa. What what have you seen? And, and give me your impressions. When I went to you and I, I actually have a degree that's similar to what they're offering. I got it back in the mid-90s. So I have a vested interest there. So they are spending a lot of time and money expanding their applied engineering program, which for me, it's better for the industry. You're getting a student that has more hands-on training versus an engineer that's more theory. So I think that that will service the industry a whole lot more. That's a dynamic partnership, right? Because uh, to phrase it a different way, there's book learning and there's applied learning. And this is the way to merge both of those for optimal benefit for the industry. Correct. And the president actually came and saw us and I was able to ask that same question that this uh, curriculum was driven more from an industry level versus academic pushing it on the industry. So they are very in the industry. They're in touch and they're getting feedback from there. So they're adjusting their curriculum as as the industry changes. So I think they're on a cutting edge. You've been to some of the facilities here, so I'll ask you, Ken, first. What is it that you see either at the Cedar Valley Tech Works or at different locations near our airport on the north end of town? So what I saw, like this morning we went to the John Deere foundry, very high-tech. Of course, uh, a lot of money goes into that, so they, they can afford that. They do large castings and all that. So they they have a very high um, automated system with the Foundry 4.0. The other day we went to a Dotson, a company just north of here. They are a smaller company, but they are also adapting the same principles, just on a lower scale. And they want to do more. So that's that's where we come into play, where we create this partnership and we, with Jerry in his uh, tech works, we show them how to do that. So Jerry's actually setting up robot cells and all that where they can show the industry what's possible if they just you know, follow these principles. That to me is interesting, Brian, because you've got an industry that is always wanting to keep current. You mentioned deer. Obviously, they are more efficient if they are more technologically advanced, etc. But to have these satellite centers, if you will, that are able to experiment without the drive of profits and the timeline. And I'm not saying that they're not efficient, but that's the whole point. They can do things in terms of research and development that perhaps a for-profit company can't. That is correct. And that does multiple things. But some of the things that we're attempting to capitalize on for that is provide that sense of the art of the possible. So you have a small and medium-sized manufacturer that typically does not have the revenue generation that a John Deere, as an example, would. 
sure. or the capital expenditure ability that a John Deere would. So they can come to the center of excellence, whether it be here at UNI or closer uh, on the East Coast to YSU, and see what the art of the possible is, to see the technology in use, and even uh, maybe even uh, make the leap. They may be on the fence, make the leap to adoption of some of that advanced manufacturing technology, whether it be automation, automated uh, data collection, all of those types of things. Because one thing that we found this week in talking to some of the manufacturers here, automation doesn't necessarily mean robots. It can be automation of standard processes, whether it be inspection, review, vision systems, those types of things. It's not in any way, shape, or form just limited to implementation of robots. We have talked in a variety of ways, in a variety of times on these programs about how, quote, manufacturing does not mean what it used to mean. In other words, there's a a gap in general public knowledge about what it means to go into manufacturing. Do you find that as you gentlemen go across the country and talk to people, is that still the case and, and what can be done to help bridge the knowledge gap, if you will? I travel across the United States and I see a lot of different manufacturing operations in addition to what we're doing on this program. That is an overriding misconception. The days of the dirty, dark, dank, industrial, you know, with a lot of safety issues and a lot of injuries and, you know, all of those negative byproducts of working in a facility like that. Typically now it is well-lit, extremely safe, You have to be technically proficient and be able to understand technology, interface with technology. The sky is the limit, essentially, in the manufacturing realm. We had seen examples of that today. One of their CEOs or presidents had come on 15, 20 years prior as a general laborer, and they elevated themselves. And that is also credit to that company as well, because they provided those resources and that ability to climb that ladder, to go to school, to do the things that got them to that point. Invested in the employee all the way up. So I want to add to that. So part of the challenge of implementing all this technology is what we're hearing too. The workforce skill set is not there. So the UIs of the world are helping bridge that The education of the technology to be able to run this, to troubleshoot, to maintain it, you know, maintenance, you know, all the skilled trades are not there. So there's also a lack there. So maybe a a company wants to put in all this technology, but who's going to run it? Who's going to maintain it? So there's a a challenge there as, as well. Brian Schmidt is program manager. Ken Carson is senior program engineer, both with the National Center for Defense Manufacturing and Machining. We spoke in Waterloo on Thursday, December 15, 2022. Two institutions under the UNI Business and Community Services operation play a significant role in the Industry 4.0 Foundry Partnership, the Center for Business Growth and Innovation, and the Metal Casting and Foundry 4.0 Center. There's more to this conversation, and we'll bring that to you on our program next month. Still to come, more Iowa tax reform, and later, a downtown Cedar Rapids restaurant with a few unique aspects. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. 
Jack Shelley was one of America's legendary local broadcast journalists, whose long career included radio, television, and the classroom. Generations trusted him, and conversations stopped when he was on the air. Jack Shelley, history's recorder in his own words, contains historic broadcasts and interviews with the Iowa icon. It's our feature DVD this week at TotallyIowa.com. Get your copy of Jack Shelley, history's recorder in his own words, today at TotallyIowa.com. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, educating, guiding, advising, and coaching Iowa businesses. Search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook and get more at AdvanceIowa.com. Last year, the Iowa legislature approved income tax reform, ultimately moving the state toward a flat individual tax rate. This year, the focus is on property tax reform. I asked Iowa Speaker of the House Pat Grassley this week to talk about what might be different this time as opposed to previous property tax reform efforts. So a few years back, for example, with the mental health levy, we put $120 million to eliminate the mental health levy. And while that was the right decision, it provided equitable funding across the state, provided some relief. If you look across the state, different maps that show who actually saw property tax relief and who didn't, there were counties in which there was increases, some had relief, some didn't have any change. So the mentality we're trying to approach it from House Republicans with House File 1 is shifting the narrative. In my opinion, I've been around here as long as anybody else, the narrative on property tax is always skewed and leaning towards the taxing entity, whatever taxing entity that is. The first thing is, is well, what will happen to them? What will happen to them? This bill is trying to change that conversation and put the taxpayer first. And what we're trying to do here is trying to limit the amount of growth or cap the growth that can happen on your assessed value. The certainty needs to exist with the taxpayer as much, if not more so, than what it does with the government entity. So this plan would be twofold, provide a level of relief from the state's perspective by buying down the 540 levy, but at the same time, capping the amount that people can pay through assessed values. Because right now you have assessments going up, levies never go up. Well, how do you collect more revenue if you don't raise the levy? You just take it through assessments through an unelected assessor, not being critical of assessors. This is not what that's about. The point being, we need to have some accountability. And I think that by tying those two together, that's how you can truly enact lowering of property tax without putting us in a situation where it's just a hodgepodge across the state of counties. Coming up, we bet you won't find this item at too many other restaurants. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. Hello, fellow Iowans. This is Michael Swanger, owner and publisher of Iowa History Journal. 2023 marks Iowa History Journal's 15th anniversary, and we have planned some amazing stories for the year that you won't want to miss and that you won't find in other magazines. Pick up our January-February issue on newsstands at Hy-Vee, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, and other outlets. Better yet, subscribe so that you don't miss an issue. Visit iowahistoryjournal.com and order today. Support for the Iowa Business Report comes from the Iowa Business Council, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization working to elevate Iowa's economy through leadership, research, and advocacy. Learn more and review the latest quarterly member survey by going to iowabusinesscouncil.org. In our business profile, we'll learn about Chop House Downtown, a restaurant located in downtown Cedar Rapids. 
The driving forces behind the effort are Chef Joe Avila Burrio and managing partner Ryan Avila Burrio. I met Ryan at the offices of the Cedar Rapids Metro Economic Alliance, a short walk from the restaurant. Chop House Downtown, we opened in September of 2021. My partner Joe and I opened the restaurant. Joe's been a chef for going on 15 years now, and this was his passion. Um, And we opened in September of 2021. Chop House Downtown is located just a few doors down, right here in downtown Cedar Rapids on First Street, um, just three doors down from the Economic Alliance. And we serve wonderful food, and we are here just to provide a great environment and delicious food to all of our customers. Obviously, with any business, you want to have a distinctive niche within the trade area. What is Chop House Downtown's unique selling point? Well, when you go to Chop House Downtown, you'll see that it's a fun, family, laid-back environment. I think we're known for our steaks and seafood. That is what everyone knows us for. But alongside that, uh, we are absolutely known for our cotton candy. Uh, We're one of the only restaurants here in town that offers cotton candy as an option, um, and we incorporate cotton candy through our menu, both at the bar and in the kitchen. Okay, you're going to have to tell me more about that because I'm envisioning that I've just asked for a T-bone steak medium well with a side of cotton candy, but that's probably not how you're integrating it, is it? No, no. The cotton candy is really integrated, uh, number one, in our drinks. We use it in drinks. We have drinks like our cotton candy martini and a cotton candy mule. Really fun, fun drinks there. But alongside that, we make specialty items like cotton candy creme brulee. And we have a cotton candy tower that is a house-made cotton candy, and it is just delicious, and the kids fall in love with it. Where did the idea come from for this form of a restaurant? And by that, I mean the laid-back atmosphere, the menu, the hook of cotton candy that is distinctive. How did that all come to be? Well, Joe's the secret behind our entire business and the start of our business, and he's the one who developed the menu and the atmosphere and the style. Uh, When we found our location, our location was built in 1899, so it has very historic architecture, and we wanted to make sure that we designed our restaurant around the architecture, and that is where we came with this rustic, laid-back vibe. Um, But along that, we wanted to be able to offer our clientele here in the downtown district. Uh, You know, we have folks that come downtown to go to the different bars and have fun restaurants, but we also have business folks that work downtown along with, you know, the courthouse here on our street. So we, uh, you know, have really tried to find a vibe that works for everyone, whether you are a student going to the college and you're looking to have a great place for lunch, or you are the judge at the federal courthouse and you're looking to have a steak for lunch. You opened... I'll say post-COVID. In other words, you were not affected by the shutdown. We had some vaccinations. People were coming out of it. I have a sense that that might have been a very exciting time to start a new business. Any time is, but when you had a population of people who had been used to sitting at home, and here's a brand new alternative as we're ready to go out, that had to be an exciting time. Definitely was a exciting time. I will say it was nerve wracking at the same time. When you go to open a business post pandemic, specifically a hospitality business, you think, are we going to go through another shutdown? Are we going to have customers that are scared to come back into the areas? Many of the businesses here downtown, they were working remotely or, um, you know, not in the offices every single day. And so that was something that we had to take into thought process. But here, the Cedar Rapids Metro Economic Alliance, they're focusing on revitalizing the downtown area and they're working on bringing these businesses back. Um, which in turn has just increased our business twofold. 
That was something that I know I talked to people previously about the fact that when you had the hybrid workforce or folks who just weren't coming downtown anymore, that really had an exponential effect on businesses and the trade area. But it sounds like you were able to enter at a good time and, thank goodness, you've not had to weather pandemic-level shutdowns, just, quote, just the normal business Correct. You know, we have not been affected by the pandemic nearly as much as I would have thought. But as I mentioned, when we opened the restaurant, it was something we had to take into consideration. If we go through another shutdown, if, you know, people are scared to come to the restaurant. But the reality is, is that everybody wants to get out. They want to mingle. They want to see their families and their friends and their coworkers. And where we are centered in downtown, we just thrive in our location. Ryan Avila Barrio, one of the owners of the Chop House downtown a Cedar Rapids restaurant. More online at chophousedowntown.com. We met in Cedar Rapids on Thursday, January 12. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. That's where you'll find podcasts of full interviews with many of the folks you hear on this program. They're listed as IBR Extras and IBR Business Profiles. And we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, 19 now in all, so you can subscribe to the Iowa Business Report on whichever platform is your favorite. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, providing business solutions and support to small to medium-sized businesses. Let's work together. More at AdvanceIowa.com and search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.